Breaking diversity records here in South Florida. What is a snook gypsy? The Lunker Dog sports a new trolling motor. And we got a Mick running the biggest Italian festival in South Florida. All this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Before we get started with the first part of our show with Tim O'Connor, the four-time Happy Bait World Champ, let's do the Sport My Review section of the podcast. This is where we take last week's best review on Apple Podcast and send them out a new Real Guy Podcast t-shirt. This week's review is by Skating Tater Tot. Skating Tater Tot said, Love this week's podcast with Skipper and the legendary Norm Beckoff. I enjoyed the longer-than-usual conversation, and it was very interesting to hear about the beauties as well as the challenges of investing in Andros and the rest of the Bahamas. I hope Skipper lands a blue marlin on his flats boat this year, and I'm looking forward to going out to Spooner's Bay soon. In the meantime, Captain Jeff, I'll continue to put lunkers in people's faces and listen to the podcast. Well, Skating Tater Tot, that was a great review. Reach out to us, send us your email, and we'll send you a new Real Guy Podcast t-shirt. This week's special guest is Tim O'Connor, the four-time Happy Bait World Champion. Now, I asked Timmy to come in the studio today because most of us guides have the same problem. We have these clients that call, and I put them in a category as snook gypsy. Tim gets on the podcast and helps helps me explain what a snook gypsy is. So we're going to name the episode Snook Gypsy. (laughs) I thought you named it the Mick. No, that was just what you saw. That was just to get you on there. No, the snook gypsy. And I, I, I looked up the definition of snook of gypsy, right? I want to make sure okay. we didn't, you know, like weren't racially insensitive or anything. Sure. I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay. I think we're, I think we're good. Well, Plus, I've had a gypsy, I've had a gypsy explain to me that a gypsy is literally someone without a country. And this is from the gypsy's mouth, and and not while he was black topping my driveway. He told me that on a charter. Now that's real. That's real gypsy, right? Mm-hmm. The guy, the guy you took, he was real, and he, and he proclaimed himself to be a gypsy, and proud. Right. The snook gypsy never proclaims himself to be a gypsy. First of all, correct. And I did. I did some serious. Um, research and i reached out to a couple of experts in the field and i learned a lot about the uh snook gypsy well, can now, you anybody please that, expound it, upon that yeah yeah anybody that doesn't know what uh, timmy and i are talking about there's a there's a fisherman out there that calls and books trips it's kind of like the same <laughs> exact, it's kind of like the same exact call a lot of the guides get this and now I've made up a term for it. I'm calling them the snook gypsies. And your typical snook gypsy, <clears throat> first thing he does is he calls, and he has to fish today. Is that consistent with the snook gypsies that call you? Absolutely. Do you have any trips available tonight or tomorrow? I want to go snook fishing. And where are you going? And where you're catching your bait? And asking all these details. Uh, price ends up being towards the end. Right, price and always comes up. It does, but I think you've run into a little bit different quality of gypsy than I have because uh, apparently they're willing to pay up for you. I have yet to have a gypsy say he'll pay double, triple, quadruple my rate 
to get out. All he wants to know is, uh, where are you going? I need to go tonight. I've got five or six people, maybe seven. And uh, it's a family affair. How come it's always four or five, six or seven people that want to go? Right, at last second. And and it's and there's always a sense of urgency. They're almost like a walking phishing email. A, right? a walking what? Phishing email. <laughs> so I have a bit of a technology background. So a phishing email is one of those emails, you know, back in the day, it would be an email from uh, Wells Fargo Bank, even though you're not a banking customer of theirs. And it said, hey, your account's locked out. Click this link or we're going to freeze all your funds. So a fish, a truly good phishing email has two components to it. You know, one is it looks legitimate. And the second is there's a call to action. Click this link or else. So these the gypsy snook fisherman is like a walking, breathing phishing email. He tries to appear legit and he's got a call to action. Got to fish tonight. Got to fish in the morning. What's your availability? Where are you going to get bait? How many are you catching? And how many how many calls a month do you think you're getting by snook gypsies? It Two, varies. Four. Oh, I don't know. Maybe eight or ten. Eight or ten. Yeah. How about you? I would say I'm, I'm close. I'm close to about half a dozen. I would say. Yep. The the um always the same. Have you ever been able to, besides the real gypsies that you took out that you said you had a good trip with, but have you ever been able to get them to schedule at a later date when they call you? Never. Never once, right? Never once. So, so when the guy calls and he says, I want to fish tonight, and he'll call it like four, I want to fish tonight. And you tell him, I can't take you. How about a week from now or whatever? What's up never. with that? How come how come they'll never do that? I I don't know what makes the gypsy tick. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can only tell you that I usually get a text from other guides in town, including yourself, about 15 minutes later. Hey, did you get a call from a guy that wants to fish tonight? Yep. Uh, so they're obviously canvassing the area. They call all the guides. So I wrote down um, a few characteristics that I thought would definitely let people know that you're dealing with a snook gypsy. Okay. Okay. And we already went over the first one. They always want to go tonight. Right away. Yep. Always. It has to be right now. Yep. Okay. They can never fish the time that you would normally fish. So, for instance, if the guy calls and you say, yeah, we'll go from 4 to 9 p.m., they go, how about 7? True. Yep. Also... 100% of the snook gypsies have, and I'm not sure what kind of accent it is, but it's kind of like a weird accent. Like not real hard, not real strong or anything, but you know that there, it's something that's, like it's never like a redneck accent. No, and it's not like your Italian people. It doesn't sound like them either. So, although there are plenty of gypsies on the Italian side of things, but no, it, it yep, it's unique. There's something just that you can't put your finger on. I right. think that's that's a good number two aspect. Never less than three people. Never. Price is always going to come up in the conversation. It, yes, but later on, there are a couple other aspects to it that that appear. I think I think one is data gathering or information gathering. 
the, the ones that I've talked to that want to go right away want to know exactly where you're going. No? Have you not yeah. run into that as well? They want to know exactly where you're going. Where, you, where, where you're going, what you're going to use for bait. And then comes the resume. Then comes, well, I don't know where you've been going, but I've been catching five, six, eight, ten snook a night under this one bridge. Now, that's not every one of the callers. Not everyone, but many. And <laughs> and you and I have already spoke about it. What's the answer to that? When they when they break out the resume, yeah, I'm catching five to ten to twenty snook a night in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> what do I say? So what do you need a guide for? What do you need me for? How much? What's your rate? I'd like to catch 15, 20 snook a night. So this is this is what happens with the the, the conversation between the fishing guide and the snook gypsy. But it goes further than that, Timmy. And I didn't realize that till I was talking to Lamont and I was telling him about the episode we we're going to do about snook gypsies. And Lamont said that they're a well-known breed and they're often found in places like Dick's Sporting Goods, like changing the price tag on the clothing. Oh, so for boy. instance, like, yeah, like they'll take like, you know, a $29.99 price tag, put it on the Columbia thing. And then when they get caught, they're like, no, bro, really? my friend. Wow. And they, they do that and they do that with tackle. They've tried to bass pro shops and they get busted. So they go to, they go to stores like Dick's and Walmart and it's always some sort of scam on the tackle. Now that we've established, I think we've established the profile of, of what, what a gypsy, what the gypsy sounds like when they're calling in to book a trip. What did Drew say about the snook gypsies? They're always in negotiation. Like they want to buy something from you on a consistent basis, whether it's your bait, whether it might be a combo, a cast net, I mean, you name it. It's very common for them to offer you to buy pretty much anything, including the trips. Gypsies haven't had a monopoly on that in the last two years. There's been other folks, but that may be a subject for another discussion unless you want to talk about that now. But boy, did COVID ever interject the the haggling over trip prices, which is a, a new phenomenon to me. I don't know about you. <laughs> you think it was, you think it was, you think it was the COVID thing ever since COVID that, you're getting that? I was getting that with more frequency. It's the occasional person. Well, is that your, is that the best you can do? Well, no, my, the best I can do is another 200 bucks above my normal rate. That's the best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> One of, the, one of the things that baffles me about the snook gypsy, right, is that they'll, they'll offer you more money if you say yes. Like, for instance, the guy says, to you, can we go tonight? And I said, no, I'm already I'm already booked tonight. He's like, well, what if I give you an extra hundred bucks? And I'm like, well, I'm still already booked tonight. He goes, what if I give you an extra two hundred dollars? And the guy's waiting for me to say, oh, OK, I'll take the two hundred dollars. So he knows that I'm going to call the guy that I was supposed to take. Screw right. that! Screw that guy! So I can take him for extra two hundred bucks, like paying you to be yep. a scumbag, and then he knows that you're going to be on the boat together for five hours. So he knows he's totally prepared to spend five hours on a boat with a scumbag. That's hard pass. 
hard pass. You never break the code. You never, you, you can't pull the rug, rug out from underneath a, a client that's booked. Never. Now, I also heard that it goes to a whole nother level where <clears throat> these little bands of snook gypsies, they're always together. There'll be like four or five of them. One of the dudes will start asking you a question. Well, the other three dudes are kind of like sizing up what they could steal or take or figure out, like look at your, you know, like your rigs or your, maybe your lures, your flies and that kind of thing. So one guy distracts you while the other ones are trying to get you. Trying to rope, rope a dope. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand. I, I haven't is, seen that. No, I understand it's real common at the piers and at boat ramps. And what happens is, is they'll steal people's combos, steal people's buckets of bait, so on and so forth. And it's the old distraction thing where the one guy's asking him a ton of dumb questions. And in the meantime, his buddy slides in behind him and gets his bucket of bait. Boy, won't they be disappointed when they steal your combos, huh? <laughs> get a, get it, it a run into the truck and find out that they got a bunch of ugly sticks sitting in the truck. Boy, that can't be worth it. But I was talking about when I was talking about breaking diversity records. I was more yeah. talking about I was more talking about you running the Italian festival. For any of you guys that don't know it, there's a there's an Italian festival here in Fort Lauderdale. Or actually, it's Pompano. And it's uh, Pompano. Is that Pompano? Yeah. yeah, Pompano. It is. Right on the, it, it, it's it, right on the border. It's it's uh it's Pompano Beach. Right, one of the biggest Italian festivals. Our, yeah, our thirty eighth annual. We just completed successfully. Um, it's uh, it's great, great, great event. We had a great turnout. Um, it benefits the capital campaign for our school that my children attend. And uh, you know, it was great that everybody showed up. Um, there, there's apparently some pent up demand for outdoor events in the wake of COVID. So um, I think everybody had a great time. A lot of rides, great food. Uh, if you want an event to be successful, especially an Italian festival, put the Irish guy in charge and uh, it'll go well. Well, that's what, that's what we did here in Pompano. It's it, 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 it like I said, it, that is setting breaking records for diversity here in South Florida, the most diverse place in all of probably the world. And well, the Western hemisphere. Yeah. I mean, it, but again, only in America can an Irishman ascend to the executive committee of an Italian festival. So how many it's people you reckon, how many people you reckon went to the Italian festival this week? We're estimating somewhere between, I don't know, 10, 12,000 people, probably really? 15,000. Yeah. Phenomenal. But my wife went, she loved it. Had a great time. Uh, great to hear. Um, great. How about your daughter? She, she went, all her girlfriends went, you know, it's part of their school, you know, loop or whatever. They had a great yep. time. And, when they all came home, I let them know that Tim O'Connor was in charge of the biggest Italian festival here in South Florida. And well, I, wanted them all to be I wanted them all to be proud of how diverse we are down here in South Florida. Well, that's not entirely true. Um, I, I am just one of a fairly large executive committee to put it on. So to say that, uh, that I'm in charge is not entirely true. It's a truly a team effort. How many and, Italians uh, are on the team? A few, um, just enough so we can park in handicapped spots. But that's not really what I'm getting at. So I, I, please tell your wife and daughter, sorry that I couldn't give them the VIP treatment that they truly deserve. 
because after all, they are practicing Catholics. So we we try to reward the, the practicing Catholics that, that come on. So we'll go, and, we'll go with the attendance of about 15,000. Did anybody recognize you as four-time Happy Bay World Champ? Not a one. Really? Not a one. Were you not wearing like your fishing gear and stuff? No, I've got uh, I've I've got Italian festival gear that I wear, and they wouldn't know I was running around a bunch. There's a lot to do, a lot of fires to put out during an event like that. So you're more like behind the scenes when the event's going on. That's right where I prefer to be. Now, do you do you Irish guys sit back and like dream about being Italian? No, we actually kind of feel bad for them. Um, you take pity on the guineas? I do, I do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with second place. So, uh, no, it's good. I mean, is it not enough that we saved Western civilization, Jeff? I mean, what more do we need to prove? Well, I just find it ironic that in places like Boston, you got South Boston where all the mix hang out. You got North Boston where all the guineas hang out. To this day, they won't mix. And if an Irishman ever tried to pull off throwing an Italian festival and supposedly a more diverse state than Florida, being Massachusetts, like that would not go. Heads would roll. People would be getting fights. It just. Oh, yeah. Stuff, no, no. It'd be like Belfast. Not no, it'd like be like that. the Protestants but, going against the Catholics. Yeah. No, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But that's because it's a union state up there. I mean, it's all union. So they can't they can't let them nick into the Italian union. Right. So, yeah, it's all stratified. They haven't yet. It's all jealousy. They're all jealous of the Irish guys in Southie. Probably. I don't know. I've I've never been there. I'm just proud to be a South Floridian. Me too. Native. I'm a native South Floridian. So very happy. Came from came from the Irish enclave of Wilton Manors. I also want everybody to know that Timmy was the one that really had me in a chicken wing about getting a trolling motor. <laughs> what exactly is getting into a chicken wing anyways? Timmy pushed me in. Like, P- Timmy wanted me to get a trolling motor. I think he wanted me to get one more. Well, I know he wanted me to get one more than I did. But I do want to thank you for pushing me in that direction because the trolling motor on the skiff has been very delightful. Uh, I'm happy to help. It's uh, it, it was disappointing to see you struggling out there, running to the helm, running back with the net draped all over you, then running back. And um, I think you'd agree that it's it's been a bit of a, an eye-opening experience with the trolling motor now, right? You're a little stealthier, a little more convenient. Uh, no, the it makes, remote it, it is, makes it easier. Makes it easier. When it when it doesn't make it easier is when the remote detaches from your neck and falls into about three knots of current. It's not as quite as convenient when you don't have the remote. So when did that happen to you? I remember you telling me. So, so that happened about a week and a half ago down in Miami. Uh, we were tarpon fishing, and uh, one of the features that I've been preaching to you is spot lock. And Minn Kota has that spot lock feature, which saves you from having to drop an anchor in the water. And it's amazing. It's it's a different, you know, it's an absolute game changer. So, as you know, and most of the folks know that, you know, when you just get the spot lock in and be up current and drift your baits back into the current and catch your fish. And if you have a fish go crazy and just continue 
freight training you under the bridge, you can just spin the boat and chase them, right? As opposed to trying to mess with the breakaway buoy and the anchor and all that other nonsense. So it's an absolute game changer. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, uh, the lanyard broke. And of course, as you know, you know, the, the, the trolling motor remote can't possibly fall in the cockpit, right? It has to fall over the side, it has to hit the covering board and two skip its way into the drink. So right in the that's drink. What, right in the drink. Now, uh, and I'm sure Bob from Inshore Marine Specialties will tell you, you know, I had the Minn Kota iPilot app loaded onto my phone. So I uh, just fired up the phone, paired up the, uh, the app with my trolling motor, and I was back in the game. And you were controlling your whole boat with your phone now. Correct. That's very cool. Amazing. I, I don't have the app, but I'm going to put it on my I'm going to put it on my phone because I know for a fact that I'm going to break that remote or it's going to end up in the drink. The remote, even though as handy as it is, it's a little bit like big and clunky. So when I have it, it around, when I have it around my neck, it's constantly hitting stuff. Like when I go into the bait well, it wants to go in there with me. And it's just a matter of time before I either break the thing or the thing ends up overboard. Well, well, well part of the reason is because you have no neck. So there's really nothing for it to hang around, <laughs> but you can, you can, you can tighten it up to, to cinch it up a little closer. It, it gets in the way when you're throwing the net, certainly, but, uh, it's, it's a huge, I, I felt almost naked without it, which, you know, leads me to my point about Minn Kota's customer service, unbelievably great experience from Minn Kota, uh, contacted their customer support folks described the situation, told him I was in the biz um, and that uh, I had some trips coming up. And, uh, you know, what makes it worse is you know, normally a place like Bass Pro Shops or West Marine will have some <clears throat> Minn Kota remotes or Bob at Inshore Marine Specialties. Nobody's got them, right? Supply chain issues. So there's no place in town to get one. Uh, no fault of anybody. It's just there's, they're not making as many. Reached out to Minn Kota and Jeff. They responded immediately said, Captain Tim, there's another one on the way. No questions asked. One of the most exceptional customer service experiences I've been a part of. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, one of the reasons yeah, you make, you point out that I've got the fancy egret and, and all that stuff. But I will tell you that whenever I have an, an issue or a question about my boat, Frank at the factory is always there to answer questions or send components or parts. So uh, Minn Kota, is uh is egret like in their customer service which is high praise so what a fantastic experience i can't recommend those trolling motors enough what a, what a great great product great support right and you know how i am about product i don't like to you know promote products and not into the sponsorship thing but if it's a product that i use and i like and i really think is good then I'll endorse the product and I endorse the Minn Kota trolling motor and more so I endorse Bob from Inshore, what's it, Inshore Marine Specialties? Inshore Marine Specialties. I mean, great local business. And, and in full disclosure, I'm not sponsored by Minn Kota. I'm not sponsored by Bob. I just, I just like to uh, point out folks that are really doing it right. So certainly Minn Kota, they're a huge company. It's an, it's actually a nice bookend, you know, Minn Kota, the huge company and then bob who's you know just a small local business uh bob does it right every time 
uh, has got great advice. He's not afraid to have you bring the boat in. He'll take a look at it. He's not there to run up a bill. Uh, his knowledge is almost limitless. He's seen it all and all the work he does. You can get into it when he, you know, wired up your trolling motor spotless, you know, unlike the rest of your boat. So, you know, probably the cleanest part of your boat is where he installed the trolling motor now. That is true. That is true. But he did see that um, the Deckett stuff. It has cleaned up the boat a lot. And even though, you know, it may not be an egret and all that, people get kind of goo goo gaga over the, the uh, Deckett stuff. And now my new Minn Kota. And, you know, it's just, um, let's just call it a sign of the times. But I'd like to get Bob from uh, Intro Marine Specialties on the podcast. Um, I think it's a great idea, Bob. Bob's great. Not only is he a genuinely good guy, and not only is does he have just a wealth of knowledge about fishing inshore in general, but you know, Bob can basically resolve any issue when it comes to live wells, wiring, trolling motors, power poles, all that stuff. Um, and I don't even have a power pole. But if I was going to get one, I'd have Bob install and, and, and service and maintain it. He does absolutely top-notch work. You can tell when you pull out of there that an absolute perfectionist has touched your boat. Yeah. It's important. And, and he's and like you said, he's done all the different boats, so he knows you know the ins and outs, the do's and the don'ts, and then you know he's taking care of egret guys, maverick guys, even friggin' guys like like me with with you know commercial skiff. You bring it in there, and he knows what to do. But yeah, um, he's great, and and he's putting his money where his mouth is too. You know, he is really, as you know, he's very involved in the water quality issues, like Okeechobee, and the water flow issues, and and a lot of that stuff. And and he has done an incredible job of educating me about some of the strategies and uh, steps that can be taken. And he's been very active meeting with, uh, you know, federal government representatives, Army Corps engineers, local politicians. Um, you wouldn't know it, but uh, no, Bob's, he's doing his part to protect the future, not only of, you know, our wildlife and angling and everything, but just the, the future of our water quality. So Bob's truly a renaissance man. He's, he's amazing. I wonder if any snook gypsies go into there. And try to deal with him like they deal with us. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna thinking write that no. down. It's gonna be a question for him. Yeah, I'd like to see if they rope a dope him. I see if one person's talking to him while the other four are going out the back door with all his used power poles. Well, maybe a couple of batteries, right? So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think. Put it this way, I don't think the the snook gypsies are sophisticated enough to to make their way to bob he's too good for that you think bringing the guy down there at egret stealing any snook gypsies i'm gonna get out i'm gonna go out on a limb and say hell no no okay just just trying to get you know trying to trying to size these people up call me and crazy I would, now i also have reached out to i mean at least a half a other half a dozen other guys besides yourself and they've all had similar experiences, and it's an ongoing issue. And just like we called the, you know, the big problem with the jet skis and 
all the jet ski rentals at the ramps and all that different stuff. I'm calling it right now. We got a new issue in the world of fishing, and that's the snook gypsy. Now, I don't think it's anything that we cannot not handle, but here on the Real Guy Podcast, we try to bring up the real issues that real guys got to deal with. Yeah, and, and like any other invasive non-indigenous species, you know, like iguanas, pythons, lionfish, you know, we really do need to nip it in the bud before, and maybe it's too late, right? It, you know, the lionfish are established, snakeheads are established, iguanas are established. It might be too late, Jeff. The snook gypsies you know, are established. Yeah, they are. And, and, and maybe there's no real way to uproot them. So maybe, you know, maybe all we do is just uh, deal with them on a case by case basis and hope according, for the best. According to the definition of the, of the gypsy is they'll be moving on anyway. So maybe it's just like a thing, you know, like Jeff, Jeff nobody leaves Florida. We're the, we're the, we're the holster. We're the, we're the pistol grip of the country. Where are they going to go? Even gypsies. They're going to settle down. Especially. They're going to settle well, down. Well, it's gravity. Okay. Where are they going to go? They all, I mean, it, it's like a funnel. It all, it all, it all just drops down. Or like an hourglass. It all just funnels down. I-95 goes north. They don't use it. Well, maybe Florida is a big enough state where they can constantly move. So they'll never have to actually be away. They never actually be away from Florida. Just you know, one week they'll be in Jacksonville, and they'll be torturing the guides there. Then they'll come up to like Sebastian and torture the guides there, and then they're always moving like a true gypsy. That could be, that could be almost like a, almost like a carnival, almost like almost like a traveling um, Italian festival. Right. So and now let's keep in mind for the for the folks listening at home. It's not quite the same kind of gypsy like in, you know, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Different kind of gypsy. And then you've got the gypsy that's like Cher, right? Cher's different from that too. Oh, yeah. I didn't know Cher was a gypsy. Sure. What was the song? Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves or something? That's back when Sonny Bono was alive. Sonny's dead now. When you're fishing out there in front of Star Island, do you, you throw out Cher's name and... All the time. Do you? I do too. I go, yeah, Cher's over there, Rod Stewart. I go, all the stars are on that island. I have no fucking clues on that island. Cher, Rod Stewart. Was Joe Cocker there too? Jeez, Jeff. Yeah. I don't know any, who's on there. Any, any, I, any, any, anyone beyond 1975 that you'd like to bring up? Dude. Is Frampton? Is Peter Frampton on Star Island? Frampton's still down here on the Gulf. You know, Frampton used to come to the bar, right? <laughs> No, you didn't know that. <laughs> Frampton used to come I to didn't. my bar. yeah. Frampton used to come to my bar down on A One A. He lived in the Galt, and um, he's sitting there having a beer at my bar. And a friend of mine says, "You know that's Peter Frampton, right?" And I'm thinking, you know, Peter Frampton, you know, the kid with the long hair or whatever. He's like a little, little Jewish guy. He all shrunk up now with a bald head. I, like I never in a million years would I ever knew that was Peter Frampton if somebody didn't tell me. You know what? Did you get a mad say? Hey, everyone, it's Leaf Garrett. Can I get your autograph? <laughs> that, that'll frost them. In the old days, there was cool celebrities would hang out on Fort Lauderdale Beach. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I, I didn't tell you the stories where Joe Namath would go into the mic eye all the time when I was working there. Was he getting tanked? Is water wet? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Namath had the longest run of getting tanked on TV than any other athlete yep. in the history of athletics. Yeah, yeah, and he was also a little handsy. Uh, after a while, the female reporters really didn't want to get near him. Well, that's only because he got old and wrinkled. Back when he was, all the girls thought he was hot. They had no problem with it. Yeah, he was well, sporting mink, the mink coat. and everything. Uh, mink coat only gets you so far, Jeff. And only, I mean, I would, knowing what I know now, I would expect somebody like Joe Namath to make his way to Fort Lauderdale. Oh yeah, the, the well, New York. Are not so much, but the Joe Namaths of the world definitely. Well, remember he he called the Super Bowl when he was down in Miami, right? He called the win. I do remember that. Before the Super Bowl in Miami. So that's that's why. Stay down here. Well, Tim Everybody from New York does it. Tim O'Connor, four-time happy bait world champion. Four-time. The, the exit, but you won this year. You, you got it this year because you're the only one that actually did anything during the mullet run. I didn't see the press release. Yeah, I kept it a little quiet. I was so disgusted in the in the mullet run itself this year that I didn't promote the whole happy bait thing. That who's going to win the championship? I was just like almost like in a depression mode. Now, how many years? You're not alone. How many years you've been fishing the mullet run? Oh gosh, Jeff, as long as you what forty? Forty years? Forty plus years? Would yeah. you agree that was the most pathetic mullet run that I've? Ever seen? One of. Well, when when was it ever worse than that? There were there's been a couple times in the last 10, 12 years where it was uh, it was pretty bleak, but this year was pretty bleak. It's tough. Well, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow. But being the four time Happy Bay World Champion and all that, you know, having to deal with snook gypsies. Being a an analyst, not an evangelist, a consultant on trolling motors. I mean, oh, I'm, far, I'm far from being an expert. Bob said, is the expert. I said consultant. 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 It's a fantastic tool in the arsenal, but um, Bob's forgotten more about him than I'll ever know. All right, Timmy, thanks for being on the Real Guy podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure being here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Run that dog. Run that dog.